And now, The Low Post. Welcome to The Low Post Podcast. Good morning. You will be hearing this on Tuesday. Kirk Goldsberry, you have some exciting news to share with the world. We're going to break it down and have some fun. How are you? And share the news, my friend. I am very well. Thanks for having me back, Zach. We had a triumphant pairing a, a week or two ago, but I'm back because I have some news that I think is not only perfect for your audience, but perfect for you, my dude. The NBA is in the midst of a major trophy overhaul, years in the making, years in execution. And we're in like the second year of that, Zach. And the big news today is that the league's major individual performance awards have been revamped and renamed. Uh, And most important, the league's most valuable player trophy, which was named after Melise Podoloff, is now named after Michael Jordan. That's the big news, Zach. Slightly more recognizable name to modern fans of the game, Michael Jordan. What's that? And you broke this news down for us today on ESPN.com. You broke the news worldwide. And so nice work on that. And this is going to be come with a, a trophy redesigns as well, correct? Beautiful new MVP trophy, the Jordan Trophy. I think it is the most coveted individual award in the sport of basketball. I spent a lot of time thinking about this. I love the finals MVP because it it comes with two things, obviously a championship and that you just played very well. But the, the, the NBA's MVP award, probably the most coveted award. And so what happened was the NBA worked with Michael Jordan and the Jordan brand designer, Mark Smith, and an artist in Los Angeles named Victor Solomon to recreate from scratch a new MVP trophy named after Michael uh, that would try to sort of give nods to his greatness, but also have this thematic element, Zach, that tried to capture what it takes to to complete the journey from the NBA draft all the way through becoming the league's MVP. Uh, So it's, it's a beautiful trophy. I can go into some details here in a minute. So it's not just a trophy showing Jordan smirking at an iPad or taking a shot of tequila. It's something more artful than that is what you're telling me. Well, yes, the Jordan smirking at an iPad uh, would be a great one. And I think that he already has arguably the most famous silhouette in pro sports. And what's interesting to me about this trophy is that it's not the jump man pose. Okay. It is a more sort of artistic rendering of an NBA player, general vert, not Michael extended vertically with his arm up, uh, coming out of a raw, uneven ground, sort of a coarse ground, and becoming a more finely sculpted athlete as the as this as the sculpture reaches its pinnacle, reaching for a crystallized basketball that the Zach it has twenty three points on this crystallized basketball. The statue itself is twenty three point six inches tall, as a nod to Michael's Jordan uh, jersey number and his number of championships. Not to LeBron's two jersey numbers, as as one of my editors suggested, but uh, to Michael's career accomplishments. So there's all sort of these little Easter eggs in the new trophy we're going to see today. I, I love. I, we're going to go through all these and debate whether the NBA got the the naming the naming honor correct, incorrect, whatever. Um, I love. This is just could not be more up my alley uh, as a lover of NBA and NBA history and all things basketball. Um, so for MVP. As we go through these, there one common theme is none of the awards have been named after active players, right? So clearly that was a priority of the league. You don't get to be named after an award if you're still playing. Sorry, LeBron, you get no awards named after you. 
visit us in a few years, I guess we'll make one up. I'm, there will be a LeBron James something somewhere for something. Um, so for MVP, we only have we, we got we got like a few choices. Jordan, Jordan's the right choice. Let me just say that up front. Do you do, do you disagree? Is there is there any so 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 here's the other choices? Jordan's a five time MVP. Yeah. Bill Russell is a five-time MVP. He's got the finals MVP trophy already named for him. They clearly do not want to do redundant naming. Kareem has the most MVPs ever, six-time MVP. He has the social justice award that I think came into existence just last year named yeah. after him. I And that's the only award Kareem has named after him. I kind of feel like he needs a basketball award named after him. And this would have been one. And then you go from there. LeBron's got four. Wilt's got four. Moses Malone, Bird, and Magic all have three. So I think Jordan's the right choice. I just, I feel like Kareem is, it's an important award, but it's it's not a basketball award. And maybe he doesn't care because what he's done as a champion for social justice to, to this day as a writer, a speaker, uh, maybe he just, that's that's the one he would want. Zach, I do believe that Michael Jordan is the clear and correct choice here. Although I do also agree that Kareem has has often been overlooked uh, in these in these kinds of elite conversations. Um, you know, if you're talking about who's the greatest NBA player of all time, Kareem has a, a solid argument to that. But if you're talking about who's the best basketball player of all time, he has an even better argument. Uh, Kareem, obviously, the all-time leading scorer, but Michael. And, and this is something I wanted to ask you about. Michael, to me, in my generation, elevated the game so much. Uh, I always describe it to my friends as that was the Beatles on Ed Sullivan for us, for our generation, like watching those Jordan games in the 90s, must-see TV, round ball rock, the whole deal. Uh, I don't. He created the archetype that even the best superstars, including LeBron right now, are still striving for, being the shoe guy, being the billionaire owner. He 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 created a lot of the sort of avenues that these other guys are 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 still chasing. Um, he was that great, and to me, his greatness is is more than just his stats on the court. It's it's how he sort of created the the shape of the modern superstar and elevated the league until this billion dollar entity it is now. Uh, so for me, it's it's obviously Michael, um, but I agree, Kareem gets lost in some of this stuff. Well, look, I, I've said before, I, 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 you can't sort of recreate time and place. But for me, I, I don't know if it was my age. I was a teenager, then college student at the time of Michael's apex. I don't know if it was my age or, or if it was just how it was. But no one has had the aura of inevitability that Michael Jordan had. The, the the feeling that even as a neutral fan who didn't care about the outcome, the, the feeling that he was invincible, his team could not be beaten, his team would never lose. I, that hasn't been replicated since. And then you throw in the style, yeah, the fact that it's it's the perfect time when we didn't quite know everything about all these athletes. And so something like the Last Dance comes out, and even now you mentioned he's a trendsetter. Well, how many Last Dance imitators have already come out, and none of them are as interesting or as popular as the last dance. So I don't, I don't mind. I think Jordan's a good, a good selection. Let's go. Let's go right down the line. Cause these are fun rookie of the year. Tell the world who the rookie of the year, does the rookie of the year have a name? Does it have a name that's now been scrapped or was it just rookie of the year and tell the world who is it going to be now? It's going to be named after Wilt Chamberlain. I think this is the, 
the right choice because his stat line as a rookie, Zach, if you've looked this up, 37.6 points and 27.0 rebounds per game as a first-year player. That, Last those are I the, checked, the, that's like pretty good. Like all Wilt numbers, those are just like – those are. did someone just make those up? Like is someone just estimating 20, 27 rebounds a game as a rookie? Okay. Yeah, like that's a lot in NBA Jam when there's only two players on each team getting rebounds, uh, and this guy was doing it in a in a ten person game as a first year player. Uh, one of my favorite details of the new Wilt Trophy, and I should mention that these performance awards, with the exception of the Michael Jordan MVP, are all getting sort of a cohesive look. There's this crystal glass hourglass shape with a, with a golden form in the middle, meant to emblematically sort of. Uh, signify something about the award or the player the award is is being named after. In Wilt's case, it's that famous photograph that we can sometimes picture in our heads with him holding the two basketballs out in front of him. Um, and so that's one of my favorites. But yeah, the rookie of the year is now going to be named after Wilt Chamberlain. You're the I, look, dude. It's impossible to argue with Wilt. Wilt. Wilt needs an award named after him. You talked about Kareem being overlooked. In, in sort of discussions about basketball history. And he's about to, ironically, he's going to receive his due finally because LeBron is going to pass him on the all-time scoring list. But yeah, the greatest of all-time conversation is always LeBron, Jordan, and sort of everybody else. So like, maybe maybe the other, maybe Kareem should be in there. And that's even leaving out the high school, the college, the fact that he was the best player for in the world from teenage years on. Um, the only rookie of the arguments I have are not even arguments because, again, Wilt is Wilt. He, he deserves. I mean, if people want to read about, there's a great biography about Will Chamberlain. I'm looking at my bookshelf now. Um, it's called Larger Than Life. Just any biography you can get about Will Chamberlain, the guy is is just fantastically interesting. Um, just a couple other names. I want to give a little love to a couple other names. The year after Will won Rookie of the Year, Oscar Robertson waltzed into the league, thirty. 10 and 9.7, just missing a triple double in his very first season in the league. I thought that would have been cool too. Is if you if you're like, well, we can't pick what we got, pick something else. And the only other one I would say, well, there's two. There's two, one of which we're going to be very passionate about. Shaq, 23 and 14, walks into the league as a sensation, a sneaker sensation, a dunking sensation, a backboard smashing, yeah. stanchion tearing down sensation, a movie star. Y y few rookies have ever been that productive and captured the imagination of fans to that degree. And sort of similar production-wise, not similar um, capturing the imagination of people-wise, Tim Duncan, yeah. a four-year college player, walked into the league. 21 and 12, one of the five best defensive players in the NBA immediately, an MVP candidate and all-star immediately. And you and I are going to be upset about this. We talked about Kareem having only run one award named after him. We're going to get through this podcast. Rookie of the year, well, sixth man of the year, most improved player of the year, defensive player of the year, clutch shooter. Wait, I just spoiled something there. Um, Tim Duncan's got nothing. Tim Duncan's got nothing. He's one of the 10 greatest at worst at worst players of all time. And by the way, Tim Duncan doesn't care. He would take the best sweatpants <laughs> while receiving the MVP award award. Um, Tim Duncan's got to have something. It's just, they have to make, I don't best guy, but best, I don't know something. He's got to have something. This is my number one 
bone to pick right now after covering the story last year too with the the conference championships uh remember last year they introduced the koozie and robertson trophies for the eastern and western conference uh championships and in the, the larry and magic uh conference uh championship mvps uh tim duncan I think it should be a defensive player. We'll get there in a minute. But, yeah, I think in terms of the rookie of the year, you can't be mad at Will Chamber landing here. No, no. The numbers are great, 37 points. He's obviously one of the most iconic players of all time, and he needs to have one of these awards, and, and it makes sense for the rookie. But the absence of Tim Duncan um, is, is an insult to my beloved Spurs, at very least, if not the entire basketball community. Tim Duncan doesn't care because Tim, I bet Tim Duncan's, I'm just going to project everything I think I know, but Tim, Tim, Tim Duncan onto him, the real person. I bet if the NBA called him as like, hey, we're going to name an award after you. It's going to be the Tim Duncan award for whatever. Oh, great. Thank you. That's a great honor. Okay. So the only thing is one time a year, <laughs> you have to put on a suit and appear at a public event somewhere to just stand. You don't have to say anything. You just have to stand there with your hands clasped and watch as somebody receives the Tim Duncan award. No, thanks. I'm good. And I, I think that's a beautiful point. And I don't want to, I don't want to disagree with it. I also think it could have gone a different way where at the beginning of the phone call, he's like, you want to do what? No, we're not, no, thanks. I don't want, I don't even want that. who this, who's it? Adam, who <laughs> I don't want no, that. No. Uh, How'd you get this number? <laughs> Stop calling me. Uh, oh, by the way, one other rookie thing to note, you, he's not good enough historically, I don't think, with all due respect, as Richard Jefferson likes to say before he says something not nice about somebody, with all due respect, yeah. you can't name it after Wes Unseld, but the only player ever to win Rookie of the Year in MVP in the same season, he averaged 14 points and 18 rebounds a game, 1969 MVP and 1969 Rookie of the Year. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. I don't know if you memorialize it as the Rookie of the Year Wes Unseld trophy, but it's pretty cool. Oh, the names we're going to talk about today are in the absolute stratosphere of NBA history. Uh, and, and, and that's why I think Wilt gets this and some of the names we're going to go to. Uh, and, and, and whatever you want to do next, Zach, it's going to be an iconic player uh, of a different level. And yeah, to be clear, you know, Larry Bird's 1980 Rookie of the Year, you know, coming off the storied college rivalry and all that, like that would be immediately making the Celtics super duper relevant again. 21 and 10, four and a half assists, but there's there's already something named after him. So people need to keep that caveat in mind. I want to jump to the new one first. Um, the NBA, this is this is a Pandora's box that I, I'm sure they're aware of the gate of hell that they're opening by doing this and are fine with it, but it's going, I, I'm already dreading all of the discourse around this award. Clutch shooter of the year. And Kirk Goldsberry, if if I'm reading you correctly. This is an actual award that people like me are going to have to vote on? Is th This is a thing? How is this going to work? Oh, this is going to be a disaster. There's going to be players nominated, and I, I have one minor correction. It's just the clutch player of the of the year. So it could be somebody who's very good at defense and crunch Yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure that's what it ended up being. Clutch <laughs> defensive player of the year. Passing. And this one. Andre Iguodala nailed his rotations with the Warriors down three. No. No, uh, he also didn't make the layup in that one crunch time moment in, in the finals. But I will say this. This one's named after Jerry West. Noteworthy. Um, one of the cool things that, that was talked about when they were coming out with this is 
is when that television program winning time was Terry taking Jerry West out behind the woodshed and unfairly sort of, you know, characterizing him in certain ways, according to many. The, the league was happy to give Jerry West some shine here, give him this new award. This is the first time ever. Somebody's going to win the Clutch Player of the Year award for the first time this season. It's going to be named after Jerry West. But the question for, for you, Zach, and I think that you're alluding to with that Pandora's box thing is, what exactly am I looking for as a voter to determine who is the most clutch NBA player and in the, a and season? The, and the answer, well, first of all, who's going to nominate the players? And do we know how many nominees there are going to be? Please make it like a very small amount so I don't have to do much extra work here. Yeah, I, I don't have that for you. Um, but I'm sure as a voter, you're going to get get a lot of information on this process in the in the coming months. <laughs> oh, I'm sure I look forward to the copious emails that are coming my way. Um, clutch player of I was the just year. Trying to sort for clutch player stats at this point. Well, look, uh, it's- uh, you you can't go wrong naming the award after a guy whose nickname is Mister Clutch. Um, the only Finals MVP to come from the losing team of the Finals, although LeBron. Threatened to become the second in 2015 for the Cavs. And I always say that I love that Jerry West is nicknamed Mr. Clutch, despite the fact that his team lost the finals over and over and over (laughs) and over and over and over and over over again to the Boston Celtics, because it showed that the whole hashtag rings, you either win a ring or you're a fraud, all this stupid dialogue that has engulfed the game too often did not apply in 1969, where human beings were able to make the distinction. His team lost. He still performed very well. He's a clutch performer with no rings. Of course, Jerry West won a ring toward the end of his career, but he was Mr. Clutch long before that. Did you have any alternate choices you would have liked to seen if you're going to say, well, Jerry West, maybe we name another award after him. We'll get to that. Was there was there a, a choice you wanted? And I'll say this. I think, I think it has to be someone who's been to the finals. So like I thought about Damian Lillard. Right. who has two walk-off playoff series winning shots. He and Jordan are the only people I think to have two. Stockton may have two, actually. Um, but I just it, you got to get to the final. It's not his fault. He's he's Jerry West, two-pointer. Everyone knows Dame Lillard's clutch, despite that he has the, the fact that he's not made the finals. I just think to be the namesake for this, you've had to have made some big shots in the biggest series. Yeah, and I think the two names that I would immediately come to mind, I'm sure I'm not alone, are already used. Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant, uh, who we could picture doing incredible things in big moments. Uh, again, this this is the stratosphere of NBA legends. <laughs> this, is, this is even above Damian. Uh, this is, you know, Robert Ori, of course, comes to mind for yep, some of these Yep, he's shots. on my list. But... But with all due respect, and I mean, the guy provided some electric moments in the history of the league. I just don't think with this current initiative, they're going to 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 go to Robert Ori for something like this. And they're not going to double dip with Michael, even though he has the Elo shot and the Russell shot and all those box scores in those big games. Uh, and same with Kobe. He's already now. Remember last year, we renamed the All-Star MVP award after Kobe Bryant. So they're not going to double dip with the names that, that could get double dipped. Uh, and, and they're not going to go very low below the absolute stratosphere of the superstar. The double dipping, again, is important to note. All-Star MVP is an award that people really care about. And they don't just care about it because it was named after Kobe Bryant. That that 
increases the the amount people really care about winning that award, but it's a big award for players. Jordan taken, Larry Bird, one of the most feared clutch shooters of all time, taken by another award. Dame obviously is an active player. I'm just sort of playing around with with names. Here, here you want to Kobe. Kobe, nobody wants to hear it, but the clutch, the clutch record with Kobe is a little overstated. Nobody wants to hear that. It's fine. This doesn't matter. Um, same with Chauncey Billups, by the way. Mr. Big Shot did oh, make some right. big Good did make some big shots, but if you look at the aggregate like late game shooting percentages, nothing that nothing that outrageously special. You want to hear some other nominees? hundred percent. I mean, you could Le- LeBron's been in so many big games. He's an active player, so I guess disqualifying, but you could always make a case for him. I Durant underrated in terms of just like clutch historical shots because the uh, in the finals he was on an unbeatable team. Same with Steph has made a lot of big shots. If you're just going to go by if you want to memorialize a moment more than a player Ray Allen Ray just Allen. for just for the single most sort of like has any shot swung Kyrie. the championship probability well, more Kyrie. than Ray Allen shot uh yeah the Kyrie one is it comes to mind the Kyrie one comes to mind so that game's tied with 53 seconds left game, game seven, seven of tw- game seven yeah. of 2016 it's tied the heat are dead dead That's before true. that shot and they end up winning the championship I'm just saying I wouldn't do it um then there are two players two players whose teams have regular season and playoffs for the entirety of their careers, outperformed expectations in terms of offensive efficiency, win percentage, all of it in the last X minutes of close games, five minutes, three minutes, sort out however you want. Their entire decade plus long careers, year in and year out, these two players, their teams driven by them, outperform expectations in the clutch to the point that you could see the journalistic analysis of it evolve from. Well, this might be a fluke. Well, this is weird. It happened again. Well, this keeps happening. Well, now we're nine years into it. Maybe there's something going on with these two players. Both have made the finals. One won a championship and is a finals MVP and is a regular season MVP. One is retired. That one. One is still playing. And so is retired one. Yes. Is he from Germany? Yes. That is the one name, Zach, Dirk Nowitzki, uh, who I would have on the very, very short list here. I think he has some incredible playoff moments. His one championship run will will live for, for ages as a, as a heroic run. Um, some great playoff moments. One of the top 10 scorers of all time. One of the most important international presences in the history of the game. Uh, so I'm not mad at anybody who says that should be Dirk and not Jerry West, but I'm dying to know who it's, the current player. It's is. not about not. It's not about not Jerry West. It's it's about right. So so we're going to get to this later. Maybe we won't. There's an executive of the year trophy that is not yet been given a namesake that will be given a namesake. Well, Jerry West is already the logo, right? So he does. <laughs> that's not an award, but that's like arguably bigger than any of the awards. He probably should be the namesake for executive of the year, given he mm. is the general manager of the 80s Lakers, the Shaq Kobe Lakers, the Grizzlies come to relevance. Then he has this like Clippers Warriors yeah. late career thing. So we could name give that to him. Give this to Dirk, although Dirk is 
you can tell we're getting picky when it's like, is one title enough? Is one title yeah. now Jerry West, you know, whatever, but is one title enough? The active player, you can't guess who the active player is. Oh, I could guess. It, he's not, he's not. I'm not making the argument for him because he also has been a part of a couple of really, really, no. really bad crunch time meltdowns. Is but, he from Winston Salem, North Carolina? But yes. Know? Okay. So yeah, I, I can guess Chris Paul. Uh, and I love Chris Paul as a player. Um, we've, we've brought up, and just to make sure the audience is aware, we've brought up a bunch of active players that are probably going to be honored in different capacities when the time has come, but it's clear that the NBA is not going to do this for active players. Um, but yeah, I think that <laughs> Chris Paul with the clutch player, uh, probably not going to happen. Yet. No, the, the 2000, uh, the 2014 Oklahoma but, city Clippers well, series he, by itself. He, he, let me give you something. See, you mentioned Mr. Big shot and, and big shot, Bob, and Mr. Clutch and all these nicknames. There's another one playoff P just cause you have the nickname doesn't mean you deserve the nickname. <laughs> and I, I, I don't, I'm not picking on anybody as an individual there. But some of the best clutch performers, nobody ever called Dirk Mr. Clutch, but, you know, as somebody had to game plan against that guy, you don't want him taking the last shot with your up one. Uh, that's terrifying. Uh, but he didn't have that that nickname. So I think some of these nicknames are, are, are you know, Mr. Clutch is a great nickname and, and probably deserves it. Okay. Um, I've talked myself into Dirk. I think it should be Dirk. <laughs> it's just, I'm flying by the seat of my pants. Spring is the best time to add new challenges to your training just in time for summer and warmer days. It's also the best time of the year to take a new look at your fitness routine, dial it up a notch, and continue powering on Peloton's varying class lengths were designed with your personalized training in mind. Whether you'd like to add a 10-minute course session at the end of your strength class or take a 60-minute power zone ride to increase your endurance, Peloton classes help you focus on your needs and goals. They are also made to challenge you with a variety of classes like boot camps, boxing, okay? full body strength, marathon training, all created to grow your skills or push you to improve in what you already excel in. Peloton's expert coaches and nonstop vibes, hashtag vibes, will push you to new levels of strength and endurance, keeping you on your toes while giving you the professional coaching you need. And with a wide variety of options, whether you prefer to run outdoors, row, or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. Get your head start on summer with Peloton at onepeloton.com. That's onepeloton.com. Vivid Seats wants to get you to the games you love this spring. Experience every pitch, assist, and game-winning shot live and in person. And the best part, each transaction is a step toward a free 11th ticket with Vivid Seats rewards. Score unbeatable perks like free tickets, surprise seat upgrades, ooh, and annual birthday deals. As the official ticketing partner of ESPN, Vivid Seats is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code LOW. That's code LOW, L-O-W-E, my last name, the name of this podcast. Visit vividseats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats, experience it live. Let's do the one that will inspire um, the most debate. The most improved player award goes to, this is named after, rather, this noted you know, everybody can just clearly form an image of him in their head and how he improved so much from his first game to his 50th game and then from his 50th game to 100th game. Ever when people think of improvement in the NBA, they think of George Mikan, the uh, the most the, the guy who was most stoppable for so long in his career that, that we had to change some of the fundamental rules of the sport to make him honestly unimproved because he was so good at things like blocking shots um, and, and camping out in the lane for so long that opposing 
offenses would have no chance of scoring if he was anywhere near the basketball hoop. So George Mikan is now the namesake for the NBA's most improved player award that was won incidentally by John ja Morant last year. What 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 is the reasoning? Is because we teach the Mike in drill to all young players to help them improve. Like, do we? I, am I missing some narrative about how George Mikan came in? Is they came in as like a juggernaut right away? I don't. What, uh, the, I guess yeah, he's I, arguably the most dominant player in NBA history, whatever that means to you. Again, they had to change multiple rules because of this guy won won several championships for the Lakers, Minneapolis. But uh, I I do think it's very hard to take the league side here for a minute if you have the absolute top tier of of historical legends in the sport, this particular award, Zach, most improved. Not a lot of these gentlemen had a lot to improve when they started their careers. I mean, you know, they all did get better, to be fair to them, but but not in the same way that like Desmond Bain or Shea Gilgis Alexander is exhibiting this season. Um, These guys were fully formed, uh, relatively speaking, from from the time they came into the league. Okay, so I'm going to say right now, we're re- we're this we have to rename this award and we have to wait until some players retire and then rename it after players who are currently playing who deserve to be in the discussion. Let's posit that to be the namesake of the most improved player award, you have had to have won the actual award in your career, which of course George Mike didn't do because it didn't exist when he played. Let's but let's posit that when we re- inevitably rename this in 15 years, it has to be for someone who won the award. So it can't be oh. Dirk Nowitzki, Nikola Jokic, Kevin Garnett, Stephen Curry, all late blooming all-star types straight out of high school, unexpected second round picks, blah, blah, blah. Guys who would fit the bill and have will have or will have like the legendary status to make it happen. Uh, can't be John Stockton, who I think would be a good candidate for it. Comes in as a reserve behind Ricky Green. Doesn't make the all-star team till his fifth year. Little guy from Gonzaga. Can't jump, can't dunk. Ends up being the assist leader and the steals leader in the entire history of the league. Never won most improved player. So by my rule, we can't name it after him. He'd be a great, as, as with the other guys. So there are two candidates, and one is an obvious one. Who are we going to rename this award after in 15 years, Kirk Goldberry? If if your criterion of of the individual having to already have won it is is going to be used, for me it's it's somebody from Athens, Greece here. The the winner in 2016-17, who we all remember being sort of a flyer in the draft, uh, a scrawny kid from Athens, hard to model statistically because of the league he was playing in. Um, not a lot there in that first year or two to think he was coming to win the MVP, but he did win the most improved player in 2016-17, Zach. That, that's that got to be your name, right? Giannis Attentacumpo. Rename it now. Start the paperwork. Get the new sculpture started if you got to make a new sculpture. Giannis is the perfect honoree for our most improved player award. Comes in exactly what you just said. Total project. Unknown. Greek minor leagues. Comes in. People are like, well, what? Can he shoot? Does he know how to play? Can he dribble? comes point Giannis, then becomes center Giannis, then becomes all of these things, gets better every season, wins most improved player, two-time MVP. I think it should be renamed after him once he retires. I'm, I'm putting it into the ether now. Yeah, and he, he seems like a very, very important player in the modern NBA. Uh, it captures so much of what's going on and, and you know, already won the MVP twice. But, yeah, I, I think so. Uh, George Mikan, 
you know, apologies to George. George Mikan is a massively important part of NBA history. I don't mean to scoff at that, you know, and, you know, and ABA history too. He's the commissioner of the ABA, massively important player. Brought the three point line to the ABA, which then came to the NBA. So George Mikan, nobody's questioning his impact on pro basketball. Uh, But I don't think he embodies the spirit of this award. I think that's your point, Zach, like some of these other names who are currently active. By the way, John Morant could end up being just as good of a candidate down the road as as Giannis. And he's going to have this this win in 2021-22. Jimmy Butler, but I I just think Giannis is going to be in a different, is and will be in a different stratosphere than Jimmy is. But he was the winner in uh, 14-15, two years before Giannis won it. Um, but you know, like if we're going to honor George Mike and honor George Mike and that's fine. Like give him, give him a, a trophy, give him an award for what he did to impact the game. He deserves it. Um, let's see. What do we got now? Uh, we got, let's do defensive player. Oh, of the year. This is the one that makes me outraged. Really outraged. Well, Tim Duncan is, is the greatest defender of the 21st century. This is the one he should have gotten. In my opinion, this is the one that he's proud of. This is the one that that Spurs, the Spurs dynasty was built on the defensive end of the court, thanks to Tim Duncan. Um, They were number one in defense, I think, six of his 19 years. Number two, a bunch of those. Most of the time, they were number one, two or three in his whole career. But the reason they won 50 games every year was Tim's defense. Um, And he doesn't have like something as simple as the career block shot leader that I think Hakeem Olajuwon, who uh, buried the lead here, this new award is named after the great Hakeem Olajuwon, another one of the most impactful and important players in league history. And we're not saying anything negative about Hakeem. Uh, but yes, I worked for the Spurs for this. I don't know. I'm very biased. Uh, and and I think this one could have been named after Tim. But Hakeem is a worthy candidate himself. Zach, what are your thoughts? Well, Tim Duncan doesn't pass my criteria of I think you have had to have won the annual award at some (laughs) point to have the actual award named after you. And it's not his fault. It's the voters fault. Right. Tim Duncan never won defensive player. That's one of the greatest just tragedies of of the media voting era of, of these awards, in my opinion. No, I don't. I don't disagree. But by my own rules. Yeah. that I just outlined for my fake most improved player renaming. I, I can't give it to Tim Duncan, even though he's on my list. Defense player of the year did not exist until the early 80s, right? And Bill Russell, I think, would be the obvious pre-80s uh, namesake for this, but he, he's got finals MVP already. Um, so Akeem Olajuwon, the king of the stocks, right? Like the, 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 the big man who kind of stocks became a thing because he was the rare person who could get a bunch of steals and blocks. Two-time defensive player of the year, two-time champion, a most valuable player, a two-time finals MVP, two-time defensive player of the year. That's not the most defensive player of the years, obviously. Rudy Gobert, current player, has won three. Dwight Howard, currently playing overseas, has won three. Dikembe Mutombo and mm. Ben Wallace each won four. And I, I, I don't think this helps or hurts their cause. Unlike Akeem Olajuwon, their value was very much slanted towards the defensive end of the floor. Both of them could do things on offense, particularly Ben Wallace as a passer and a screener, but they were they were valuable because they're going to be in, they are in the Hall of Fame because of their defense. Akeem Olajuwon is one of the greatest all around players in the yeah. history of the league. Period. I actually think that sort of helps his case to be the namesake for this trophy because to do what he did defensively and be the hub 
of what was kind of a modern offense with the Rockets in the mid nineties to be a 25 to 30 point a game score. Uh, and I think he's just sort of nimbler and had better hands than some of the other guys on this list in terms of steals. And, you know, could he switch if he were around playing in today's era? So I don't really have a problem with it, but I, I did. Alonzo Mourning has two. Kawhi Leonard has two. Um, I did pause at Matumbo in particular. who's kind of a mm-hmm. beloved figure in recent NBA history. You know, no, no, no. The, the finger right. wag and everything would have made a great statue there, you know, on in the trophy itself, the finger wag. The, the Matumbo in the grocery store commercial is just one of the, is that a Geico commercial? I don't even know what that is when he's like rejecting people trying to put the, put the cereal box. Nope. Nope. I, that's a great commercial. Is it a Geico commercial? I don't really, I don't know, it. but I do, I do think we, we circle back to the theme here. Didn't quite get over the top, get that championship ring. Hakeem beloved player. This gives the league an opportunity to sort of give him a major honor uh, for all that he's done uh, for the NBA and, and winning those championships in Houston, especially. Six man of the year. Please tell us who the six man of the year trophy will be named for. Uh, John Havlicek. This one relatively straightforward for those who, who, who followed the, the 60s Celtics dynasty. Havlicek kind of came to define this role. I think this is one of the cleanest most easily justified choices um, before that was even a term really for it was an award. John Havlicek was out there doing it. Um, won, I think eight NBA championships. Uh, Greg Popovich's favorite player, by the way, good trivia there. And someone he, once told me that pop in his office had one photo. <laughs> that's right. And it was a photo of John Havlicek. That's it. It's right. And, you know, I think when Aaron Havlicek passed, it really affected uh, Coach Popovich. Uh, but if there's another player here um, that that could have deserved some consideration, it's also somebody very important to Greg Popovich, and that's Manu Ginobili, who famously early in his career, by the way, while we on the low post, one of Zach's most magnificent articles of all time is his Manu article, look it up. It, was that Grantland or ESPN.com? I forget. It was ESPN.com. ESPN.com. Great piece. Uh, and so I'm curious what your thoughts are, but specifically, Zach, are you okay with Havlicek? Any case for Manu in your head? So it, it's funny. I had this fake criteria that you had to have won the individual award <laughs> to be named after it. Well, that obviously doesn't apply if you played when the award did not exist. The Six Man of the Year Award began in 1982-83. So Hondo, John Havlicek could not have won it by definition. Manu only won it once, probably again, a voter thing. Thank you for what you said about that Manu piece. Um, he and I see each other every once in a while as, as people do, you know, in the NBA world, I ran into him at the U S open one year. We, we still sort of, sort of smile and laugh about, about that piece. Um, he won it once tough sell my fit. I think that's where I learned about the pop Hondo photo thing was, was in reporting about Ginobili and how much Pop admired Havlicek for, I mean, sacrifice is not the right word, but for, for you know, people care about, maybe not back then, but people people care about being one of the first five on the floor. People care now about being announced before the game. It's a thing. You know, you can say all you want. Well, it matters who finishes the game. Now it just starts. The players care. Um, and so Pop always admired that Havlicek didn't care. and was like, I'll do what's best, what's best for the team. And, and that's what Manu did. And, you know, Pop told me in, in writing that story, I never, he said, I never told Manu this. I'm not sure I told anybody this, but when we came to Manu and asked him to come off the bench 
for the sake of the team, because we had Tony, Tim, Manu, we thought all three of them together, only one ball. We need someone off the bench, classic six-man stuff. If Manu had said no, I wouldn't have made him do it. We would have kept him in the starting <laughs> five out of respect out of respect for what he had done to that point and the kind of man he was. I never told Manu this, but if he had said no, he never would have been the six-man. That's it. Um, I'm fine with Havlicek, not only because of Havlicek being one of the best players ever and embracing that role, but but because the Celtics sort of pioneered Predating Havlicek was Frank Ramsey, the first great six man uh, on the 60s title teams. Mikhail kind of inherited the Hondo legacy as the Celtics six man for some of the 80s. Um, so I, I'm I'm fine with I think that's the right choice. The guys who won it the most, of course, are Lou Williams and Jamal Crawford, both really great players. Not quite of the historic stature of John Havlicek. So uh, they've each won it three times. Um so I, I think that's the right choice. Before we move on, a quick bit of, of, of interesting trivia I've got for you. According to the Vegas odds makers, who do you think is the favorite to win this award this season, Zach? This is putting you on the spot. Uh, I'm going to get it. I'm confident. And I haven't checked. I bet, I bet it's Russell Westbrook. It is, it is. And what a turn of events that would be. Uh, but you, we talked about players who graciously go to the bench uh Westbrook it didn't seem like he was that into it but it might be the kind of move that that helps this team get to a level that a lot of us didn't see uh early in the season so that would kind of be a cool turn of events for for the award and for Westbrook in my opinion I don't see it yet for Russ I think he's playing okay the passing has been really good the turnovers are still too high the shooting is what it is but but Christian Wood is is kind of tailed yeah. off a little bit um, Jordan Poole has been kind of, you know, hot and cold. Um, so maybe no one has really come out and seized it yet. Man, Brogdon, Brogdon, if he can, if he can last the season and the he can stay healthy. Good. I think yeah. Bobby Portis is just like a rock for Milwaukee. Um, if you yeah, what did you see? You team. had some good notes about Bobby and your 10 things last week. Yeah. I just, I was totally wrong about Bobby Portis when the Bucks signed him. I remember saying all he wants to do is like, get the ball, face up, jab step, shoot long twos, and call it a day. I thought he was kind of an empty calories player. And he, that he had most recently been with the Knicks after kind of the, the Bulls thing didn't work out. There was the Wizards trade that didn't work out. The Knicks signed him. They had like 19 power forwards that year. It just didn't work there. And he came to Milwaukee, and he still does that stuff. But they need it, and he does it when they need it. And beyond that, he's bought in defensively on the glass. He plays unselfishly. He plays with a toughness. He fits there. Like we're going to beat the crap out of you on the boards on both ends ethos. They don't win this. They don't win the finals. They don't win the title. Their first title since 1971. If Bobby Portis doesn't accept being benched against the Brooklyn Nets benched out of the rotation, stay ready, stay engaged, come back pivotal against the Hawks when Giannis was injured for part of that series, so was Trey Young. And then in the finals, they get to play Phoenix. And they ask him to switch against Chris Paul and Devin Booker and this lethal pick-and-roll attack. And he freaking does it. Bobby Portis does it, and he executes it pretty well. Just has become a perfect six-man for the Milwaukee Bucks in every possible way. I was dead wrong about Bobby Portis. Havlicek is a fine choice. What do we got next? We did the clutch. We did most improved uh, six man rookie of the year, MVP, defensive player of the year, clutch player. So they're going to do executive of the year. They're going to do executive of the year. 
Uh, they're going to do coach of the year. Uh, the coach of the year, I don't think is getting renamed. I think it's Red Arbach. Uh, and I think executive of the year, curiously, remains unnamed. It's because uh, of the Jerry West thing. It's because they gave the most obvious candidate to another award, which is fine. And Red Arbach would also be an executive of the year candidate. Back then, Red Arbach did everything for the Celtics right. in the 60s. He's yeah, already taken. I had, a, I had a tough one. I had a tough one with this. I, for for a lot of reasons, including the the names that were just taken, but also like the coach of the year and the executive of the year stuff, it really highlights how far, how how long it took for the league to elevate black ex players and and other black people of all kinds into positions of power in the NBA. And it's like, am I really going to just nominate another old white guy for this? Like, you know, well, the league it, has changed so much in that time, and it was too slow to do it. It's done pretty well. But it was slow. And I'm just like, I'm writing down these names like Donnie Walsh, Pat Riley, Jerry Krause. And I'm like, my God, how many old white guys are we going to give this, this well, honor to? I'm glad you said that because talking to Victor Solomon, the designer of this trophy, one of the things the league was having trouble with, well, what should the image be here for the executive of the year? And it's it's the only statue that's not a human being. And in part, it's not a human being because Victor and that group decided they didn't want to assign some sort of man or woman sh shape to the icon. Um, and it's sort of this pyramid shape. And I think it's aspirational that we get to a point where <laughs> this is one of the NBA awards that, that easily could go to a woman. Um, yeah. It's also unnamed to me, and I might be reading into this. I don't have any information, but it seems like they have maybe somebody in mind who's currently doing the job. Uh, and then they were saving it. And I don't know if that's R.C. Buford, who I, I love and I'm very biased about, or Pat Riley, or or one of these other sort of iconic executives that's, that's still at work. But yeah, this is the one of the new trophies, the only one that remain, remains unnamed. Give it to Masai Ujiri in 20 that's years. That's another good name, yeah. So Bob Myers helped build the Warriors. Free agent Bob Myers, by the way. Yeah, well, it just reported that yesterday. Daryl Morey revolutionized basketball analysis. Don't don't really think it's going to be him. You know, Pat you know, Riley is an interesting choice because I've, Pat has been such a force in the league as a player, as a coach, and then as an executive. And then RC, I think, has embodied like modern NBA executive uh, from international players and, and analytics and stuff like that. But again, guys, I'm biased when it comes to Spurs. Yeah, when I thought about this and you throw Jerry West out, you throw Red Arback out, you throw the modern, the current guys out. I thought about Riley. He's, the, the glamour, the throwing the rings on the table for LeBron, <laughs> the just the constant churning refusal to be bad. How are we going to crack that window open by sheer force of will no matter what? I kind of was like, you know, Watching the the Adam Sandler movie Hustle, right? It's sort of an ode to the to the just the grind. Have you seen it? Yeah, it's an ode to like the grinder, right? The airports, the the takeout meals, the long nights in Belgrade, searching for the next guy, the 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 time away. From, I mean, it's not an ode to this, but the, the missing birthdays, missing your kids' birthdays, never being home, getting out of shape because you don't have time to work out. I kind of was like executive of the year 
if you had to honor that type, right? If you wanted to go against the glamour guy, not that Pat Riley doesn't. Pat Riley's from Schenectady, man. Pat Riley, like right. Pat Riley, is tough as they come. Don't let the Armani stuff fool you. He puts in the time. He puts in the work. She was the Showtime coach. All that. Jerry Krause would kind of be a good way. <laughs> Polarizing figure. Jordan famously lambasted him a little bit during a little bit just his just Hall of Fame United. induction. The whole team united against him in 1998. They called him Crumbs because he always had food on his shirt. He, 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 his, the idea that he discovered Earl Monroe, which is what he built, kind of started to build his reputation. I was always kind of overblown. Like Earl Monroe wasn't a mystery, you know, like people, people knew Earl Monroe wasn't Bo Cruz from Hustle, but, you know, he did the, the Pippin trade. You know, building the bull. He didn't draft Jordan. Rod Thorne drafted Jordan. Um, I just thought that would be sort of a guy that epitomized that sort of NBA character who maybe doesn't always get their due because they never become the front of the camera. I don't know. I, I don't have a good. I don't have a good pick for this one. Well, these guys aren't heroes like all the other folks. Maybe the coach and the executive are in a, in a different category. I mean, we lionize these other the, the the players become larger than life superstars almost these heroes in, in, in popular culture. When you're talking about names like Michael Jordan um, and Kobe Bryant. They're, they're as close as we get to real-life superheroes. I don't think that same thing happens to an executive. But, yeah, I think those are the names. Everybody just is named. I would just say maybe the league is showing their hand a little bit because they haven't given this name, and this one a name yet. And and Masai and, and RC and, and Pat Riley are all out there currently doing it. Um, so yeah, Donnie Walsh, Donnie Walsh. Walsh. That's a good name, actually. A yeah. name that doesn't come up a lot, and this is a deep cut, but but the children of the 70s and 80s will know Jack McCloskey, the guy who built the bad boys pistons, Trader mm-hmm. Jack. Um, you know, Dumars, uh, the very, very controversial at the time, Adrian Dantley from Mark Aguirre trade. He was a coach before he was the GM of the Pistons, and then he went on to work for the Timberwolves. Just a just a name I wanted to give a little love to because I don't have a good this is fun, man. I like this is a I, I, I am though dreading. I am dreading the 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 screeching discourse that the clutch player of the year is going to inspire around the NBA ecosphere. That's gonna be it's gonna well done NBA because they like screeching discourse, but I'm it's not well, gonna what be do you, what 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 do you think because it, that had discourse hasn't started? You get a little chance here to frame it, Zach. What do you think the the criteria are for that award i mean are we looking because one of the interesting things about clutch is the the people who will have a larger sample size are not dominant <laughs> they're not like the 15 warriors who are blowing everybody out every night they have to be involved in these close games like the the bulls well, it, or the mavericks right now it's kind of well like derozan probably would have won it last year and justifiably so yeah um, it's kind of it's kind of like how last season um the Celtics got to the end of the regular season and everyone was like, well, look, I mean, their crunch time stats really haven't improved because oh, you know, right. they haven't improved since January when they were a 500 team. It's like, yeah, cause they just blew the shit out of everyone. Every single game, they didn't play any crunch time minutes. Not so Jason Tatum did, wouldn't right? have been yes. a good candidate for this. It's a weird, I don't know. I just think that's a watch the games, check the numbers, get a good sense of who does what, when, but isn't it, you know, isn't it just a couple of buzzer beaters? Like that, that that's the DeMar vote you're referencing last year, right? He had that one week where I think he hit him at back to back. He, he had a, his clutch numbers top to bottom were pretty freaking good. Um, in addition to the sort of landmark shots, Terry Rozier had a great clutch shooting year. I think it's also things that things should matter. Like, do they have to take you off the floor for defense? 
Like, oh, do, you, do, do you go offense, defense with this player late in games? Like, does that matter? Um, um, you know, Jokic had all those clutch blocks last year, even though yeah. people think of him as a defense. It's, it's just sort of going to be one of those eye tests. I mean, you obviously can't give it to a player whose team was bad in the clutch. And they'd have to be so spectacularly amazing individual individually. And it's hard to be that and have a team with a bad record in the clutch. You can't give it to a player who barely played in the clutch. You can't give it to a player who shot like 10% in crunch time situations. So like, just, I'm just, just pretend the Mavs have played a ton of close games, right? Just pretend they have a decent record in close games a winning record, but, but Doncic shoots like 21%. I don't know if you can give it to him, even if he hits like two buzzer beaters. Can you, I don't know. It's going to be an interesting. And doesn't this one demand a little bit of postseason before we vote for it? I know that's not what they're ever going to do, but it it just seems like when we're talking about like Damian wouldn't have won it in either of those years, he had those legendary shots. Probably I'm just, maybe he would have, but in my head, he's the most clutch player currently playing for stuff that you've already alluded to happen in the postseason. Yeah. Same time. Top Same time in the watch. Um, Kirk Goldsberry. This is a lot of fun. Great job breaking the news. I love any excuse to talk about Jack McCloskey and, yeah. and Frank Ramsey and Robert uh, Ori, Robert Ori and on and on and on. Um, Good luck to the Croatian side. they're going to need it. They're going to need it. It, You got to go Brazil, Argentina, and maybe France. That's a tall, that's a tall order. One, one, one minute at a time, one game at a time, survive in advance. That's all you can do. Mr. Goldsberry. Thank you. Thank you. Anytime my guy. For the ones who get it done. Granger offers high quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facility safe and your people safer. Call or click Granger.com or just stop by. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. All right, let's welcome in Live from New Orleans, home of the hottest team in the NBA, the flying, diving, fish-snatching New Orleans Pelicans. Have you ever seen a Pelican dive down and catch a fish, Andrew Lopez? How are you? Uh, I don't think I have, but if I if I did, it would probably be Jose Alvarado. Like he, I could just see him just diving into a lake, coming out, pulling a fish out with his teeth. Like He seems like some guy who would, uh, who would do that. Look, a lot of people make fun of the Pelicans – name i think it's awesome I, I think the history of it in the region is awesome and if you've seen a pelican do some stuff in nature they're kind of badass you don't want to mess with if you're a fish i don't know if i don't know what the pelicans you know predatory rank is among birds and other species <laughs> but they, they do some pretty badass stuff andrew lopez the new orleans pelicans have won seven in a row they're first in the western conference they have the fifth best offense in the nba and when you and I many moons ago previewed this team, both of us were very high on them. 
both of us uttered the word 50 for the amount of wins that yep. seemed plausible. That seems cute now, 50. Both of us said this should be a top eight or better offense. Check. Third in defense, Andrew Lopez. Third in defense. The second best point differential in the NBA behind only the Boston Celtics. We can talk about the fundamentals of that defense. Is it is it real? Is it not real? I think a lot of the fundamentals are very, very real. Might be getting a little lucky with opponent threes. Remember, Andrew Lopez, when I had John Hollinger on before the season and we made our awards predictions, I picked Willie Green for coach of the year. And you know what I said when I picked him? I said, I could see there being some, oh, whoa, the Pelicans are the fifth seed buzz in Willie Green's favor. Fifth seed. Yeah. Right they're, now, they are not the thinking seed. fifth seed right now. I promise they're the you that. first seed, and they are windmill dunking on everyone's faces. So let's start there. Suns Pelicans. Okay. Uh, let's ha- let's have fifty more of these games. Do you have any strong takes on the Zion last second windmill from hell? So it really goes back two plays before that. It's a seven point game. CJ gets a rebound, throws it out to Larry Nance. The clock is right at twenty four. You probably could dribble it out right there, but seven points. You don't know what they're going to do. In fact, on Sunday, they fouled with a seven-point lead. So, okay, Larry Nance lays it up. Everybody thinks, okay, nine-point game, game's over. Campaign takes the ball. looks like he's going to dribble it out. Chris Paul calls for the ball. I want the ball. Give it to me. With 10 seconds left, whatever it is, tries to draw a foul on Z. They don't call a flop. Goes in for a layup, misses the layup. At that point, if you're trying to score when the shot clock's off, I'm going to score when the shot clock's off. Um, DeAndre Ayton put it best, I think. Look, I know Z came out. Oh, that's an out of character for me. DeAndre Ayton put it best. Look, it's his home court. They're putting a show on for the fans. Do whatever you want. As Z put it, look, they kicked us out the playoffs. This is, we're having some fun tonight. So um, then the dust up starts with, I know this is going to surprise everybody, but Chris Paul and Jose Alvarado. uh, This is the best. This is this this everything about this is the best. Chris Paul's yeah. disdain for Jose Alvarado. Jose Alvarado giving zero f- about Chris Paul's disdain for Jose Absolute Alvarado. Zero. Absolute. That player, he will not say his name. Jose Alvarado only refers to Chris Paul as that player. It's amazing. Jose Alvarado, who by the way, is shooting. 40% on threes scored a million points against Denver in a big win. A few games before that one has, I think the second best plus minus on the entire team. This dude Correct. is a real player who has changed their team in ways. We'll talk about. I love every part of it. And you know what, Andrew? Well, you continue talking about the fracas well, break down the rest of the fracas. So Willie green gets in the middle, starts separating them before. So what actually starts it? I think, uh, Valley's New Orleans played a clip of this yesterday. It was very hard to see. There was not a lot of angles of it. Um, after the dunk, you know, obviously somebody has to come inbound the ball. I think it's campaign. He's trying to throw it to Chris. Chris throws like a little elbow back at Jose Alvarado. Not Again, Chris I those, Paul. Not- I know this is going to surprise a lot of people. But Chris Paul threw an elbow back I at Jose. Chris. By the way, I love Chris Paul. I love again. I love all the characters. I don't. I don't mean to to to, to evince any is, criticism of Chris Paul. I love of, Chris. It is part of what he does. Um, throws the elbow back. They start talking. Willie Green gets in the middle. Somebody says something to Willie Green where Willie kind of got a little heated and everybody's got to pull everybody away. Basically, Monty's like, you get your guys. I'm leaving. 
out. You, you get your team, get out of here. Everybody leaves. Nothing happens on Sunday. I was very upset about this. Uh, very calm game. However, I am very much looking forward to Saturday night in Phoenix. Uh, when these two teams meet for the fourth time this regular season. Uh, but it was it was all about Jose, all about Chris. And I just love the fact that you have this NBA vet in Chris and this the, the biggest rivalry he has right now is, is Jose Alvarado, the undrafted kid from Georgia Tech, who's just starting a whole bunch of Saturday night in Phoenix sounds like you're talking about a WWE pay-per-view. Like, like the Undertaker is going to come on and be like, Saturday night in Phoenix, Chris Paul, rest in peace. If I would love it. I would love every minute of it. And it's, I would, I would just put them in a ring. I, that's fine. Like, cancel oh, the that, game. Dude, someone's getting hurt in that. That's, that's, that's going to be ugly. The NBA. <laughs> look, here's my stance on all of this has consistently, all these incidents has consistently been, I don't care. Zion windmilled on you up nine or whatever it was in the last seconds of the game. You're, this is not, this isn't like, like 10 and under soccer. This is, this is the NBA. If he wants to windmill and get the fans fired up, deal with it you can be angry about it that's cool i have no i'm not one of these pearl clutching i have some moral objection to the sportsmanship of it do what you want until the buzzer sounds and by the way the the penalty for that means someone might take a shot at you in the next game someone might criticize you in the media like you got to live with it but i have no moral objection to to any you can call it showboating call it what you want i think it's all fair game the only thing the, the funniest thing to me about this whole thing is campaign says we, we play the right way. And because this is 2022 and there are, you know, the internet is amazing. Last year in the playoffs, Phoenix is up 28 on Dallas in game five. And campaign with four seconds left is throwing it to Bismack Biombo to get a layup to go up 30 in a playoff game when no shot clock is on. Okay, first of all, first of all, Bismack Biombo. He gets to get a layup no matter what. If he catches the ball and doesn't drop it, lay it in, big fella. <laughs> That's your moment. Lay it in. But I didn't know that. I forgot about that. The the internet, the internet always remembers. And so the we play the game the right way thing only only exists apparently when you are you are getting beat, is is what I have learned. I, I have no I I those things barely barely register with me. I just think they're cool and I go on to the next game. Although I think you it was could, very fun. You could also see the New Orleans coaches as they saw that he was going to do it. Yes. All, all just, they kind of froze up their faces and their bodies. And it was a freeze up that I wish I, I should have called some of them. It, 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 it was a freeze up that if it had been me, my mental process would have been, I want to celebrate this. I know I shouldn't because I need to be all old school and like tisk tisk or just but i also don't want to piss zion off so i'm just gonna like stand still and make no facial expression it was very funny let's talk about the team very good we'll talk about the offense and the defense and and everything i want to zoom out first as one does as i've been thinking about the pelicans and we all know all the trade assets they have they got everything they got everything from the lakers buck stuff Bucks picks their own young players, all of whom are good. By the way, Trey Murphy, I'm already getting sidetracked. I I, I love <laughs> Trey Murphy so much. And there are just two things I want to know about Trey Murphy before I move on. Number one, 
he's become a, a decent defensive player who will occasionally block his own guy's shot, which is very, very hard to do. Number two, and others have noted this, and we were going to talk about it on NBA Today a few weeks ago. He's shooting these like 29-foot threes, the old like, oh my God, in 2017, like Eric Gordon is shooting from 30 feet out. What does that do for the rocket spacing under Mike D'Antoni? He's shooting those shots and making them. He's really good. So we know what they have to trade. I go through all the realistic, throw Durant aside. Durant's, the Nets are 16 and 12. They're playing well. The next tire fire is probably only one tweet away. But for now, everything's great in Brooklyn. Throw that out. I went through all the rest of them. We can name them all. We can name none of them. It doesn't matter. And you know what I concluded, Andrew? I kind of want them to do nothing. I kind of want them to do nothing for two reasons. The first is the Pelicans just have a lot of guys. Like, they have a lot of really good players. (laughs) And, well, hold on. I got to stop again. Trey Murphy. Had I said the Trey Murphy stuff? Yes. Yeah, we hit Trey. All right. If this happens again, we're just plowing through. Um, Three, two, one. And I would do nothing for two reasons. Number one is these guys just have a lot of good players. And you look around at all the players who might be realistically available to them. And you're like, well, yeah, I could probably get that guy for a lottery protected first round pick. But is he going to play more than 15 minutes you're for right. my team? <laughs> is is giving Najee Marshall's minutes to him if Najee Marshall's even playing when B.I. and Herb Jones, who have been out, are healthy? Is that worth a a marginal first round pick, a good, a decent first round pick. Like you have a full-time four in Zion. He's not playing any five. We'll talk about that because I think they have vehicles to get to that lineup. And so, and they got a lot of wings at the three, 3.5, 2.5. Like there's just not a lot of space there. And the point guard thing, Andrew, I don't know about you, but the way CJ has passed it this year and what Alvarado has become, I just don't, I don't feel like they need, any of this stuff to the point that it's worth giving up anything of even like okay value. And I just came away being like, let's just, we'll talk about Miles Turner later. That's the one everyone's going to want to talk about. Right. I just don't think they really need to do anything. And the second reason is I think they're good enough to win the West right now. Full stop. I said this about Memphis last, last week when I said they should make a small upgrade because I think they have a, I think their situation is a little different. You can listen to that. It's a different episode. Look, the Warriors, the Clippers, the Nuggets, those teams have some, sort of a veteran experience level, a polish at full strength that the Pelicans don't have. But all those teams have been up and down, scuffling, injured, whatever. The Pelicans have just been up, trajectory up. And the way Zion is playing and the way Zion has played since Brandon Inger went out of the lineup has changed their offense, changed their team, and I think change their trajectory to the point that, A, he's butting his way into the MVP conversation. Yep. 25, seven rebounds, four assists on 61% shooting. They're plus 12 per 100 possessions with Zion on the floor, plus one when he's on the bench. Um, I, I think I think they can win the West as is. I, I just I think it's there for them now. And that they don't really have to do anything to make it there for them. I'm not saying I'm going to pick them. Because the experience level, the respect I have for those teams, my belief that the Warriors in particular will get it together. Yeah. Um, but I think it's there for them now. I mean, you go, you look at the West, you can make a, I think probably a very good argument for maybe six, seven, eight teams if you want to stretch it that could 
be in the conference finals. It, it's wide open in the West right now. And I think what they have and what they've kind of figured out in these games with Brandon being out is how they really need to probably run this offense. You mentioned the point guard issue. CJ is the point guard of the offense. The, the real point guard of this offense, as you have learned in the last seven games, is a guy named Zion Williamson. And when they need a bucket, when they need something, that's the guy who's, whose hands they put the ball in. And when you have that original starting lineup, which still, by the way, this is a team who is 18 and eight right now. It's 26 games. They have had their intended starting lineup for 10 games this season. That lineup, I think, has played 113 minutes together. CJ McCollum. That is correct. They are plus 16 and 113 minutes. BI, CJ, and Zion, their three most important creators on offense, have played only 172 minutes together as a trio. The Pelicans are plus 60 plus 17 per 100 possessions in those minutes. But to your point, that's both encouraging and what's happened with Zion since the last time you and I talked is I think the most interesting question about this team going forward. So to your point, do you remember on November 14th, we did a podcast? I do. I was sitting in an Orlando hotel room, I think. Beautiful Orlando, Florida, home of the Magic, who just swept the Raptors in a a two-game series. That's alarm bells going off in Toronto. It's uh, it's not great. I, I love it. I love it for Orlando for 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 the. They needed some young. They needed some good wins. That the team is still. I know we're getting off on a side on Orlando, but they are a team learning how to win with a lot of young pieces, and it is fun to see Jamal Mosley putting something together uh, down there in Orlando. I'm gonna let. I'm gonna leave the Orlando Magic talk there. Uh, when we did that podcast, I remember saying it, the offense with all three of those guys, it just feels like it's 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 not flowing as easily as it mm-hmm. should. There there are too many contested long twos for Bi and CJ, and those guys are great long two shooters. It's not a big problem, but I kind of want to th- see more of the offense run through Zion. And I said to you, Andrew, it's a weird thing. In 2021, Zion ran 12 and a half pick and rolls per 100 possessions. That was point Zion. Oh my God, point Zion. So far this season on November 14th, I told I said, but it's down to according to second spectrum, 3.7. That seems really low. You want to know what it is? And you said on that podcast, stay tuned because that's about to change, even before BI got hurt. You want to know what that number is since November what is, 14th? What is it now? Well, since I don't know what it is now. Since then, it's 16.5 for 100 possessions. And of course, they're scoring well out of that because it's Zion. So his pick and roll volume has quintupled on a per 100 possession basis since we talked his isolations ready on november 14th eight per 100 possessions since november 14th 16.7 per 100 possessions and conversely his post-ups are down his screening and pick and rolls is down i think that will have to come up when bi comes back as a way to sort of get that cooperative uh offense going but i think with Ingram Ingram gone, it's now incumbent on Brandon and the coaching staff to fit him in an offense that is now about Zion Williamson first and foremost with the ball. That doesn't mean Zion Williamson becomes James Harden or Luka Doncic. This his his diversity of his game right now, that number of pick and rolls, the dribble handoffs, the number of screens is going to go up. The posts, maybe that goes up. The transition game, it's the balance is perfect but it needs to stay here. 
Zion's ball, ball possession, pick and rolls, it can't go down because Brandon Ingram is back because this works too well. And so that's my big question to you is, what do you expect to see when Brandon Ingram is back? I, I expect this to be more of what we've seen in the last month or so. I, I expect more point Zion. They, they have figured it out. The thing about point Zion, especially when you go back to that starting five, um, the CJ Zion, Brandon, Herb, JV lineup. If CJ is the point in that lineup and he is trying to start initiating things, you have Z who is a capable but non-shooter. Um, they are trying to get him to take more jumpers. He took CJ even mentioned it. He took a three or four. Uh, he was two or three, I think, on Sunday against the Suns from three. They look um, good too. Does it doesn't look his three doesn't look awkward or slow or like he's does he's unsure. He's, he's very looks comfortable good. with it. He just knows that you're not going to stop me from getting to the rim. So why does it matter if I, I shoot these threes, if I could just get a, you know, get a bucket at the rim. When CJ is running everything, you still have Z and JV kind of, kind of jumbled up together. If Z is running the show, all of a sudden CJ is out on the wing. He's an open shooter. Brandon can be an open shooter. And then they can create and do what they need to do. Uh, Willie Green also does a very good job of staggering the, the yep. Brandon and Z minutes. Um, he did try briefly, and I want to see if when, when Brandon comes back, I want to see if he wants to go back to this. He basically started to separate CJ and JV to let them kind of run more traditional stuff and kind of paired Brandon and Z together. Like, okay, you got to stop one of these guys. Um, and if one's on, one's, I want to see if he does that when he gets back or if he's going to lean more into point Z and then Brandon doing his, his mid-range stuff where he's still averaging – you know, 21 a game, 22 a game, if he's probably, if you don't take out those two games where he leaves in the first half. But I think they're going to go more into point Z and throughout all these lineups. And I think another thing that they have seen because of the injuries to Herb, the injuries to Brandon, is the lineup versatility that they've had. And, you know, you, you mentioned it a little bit earlier, but, you know, haven't really gone to Z at the five because you, Larry Nance has been really good for you. Uh, playing next to him. And I think the switching lineups that they've had, the way Zion's played on defense, everything is starting to click right now. And now you just got to figure out, like you said, how does Brandon integrate back into that more than let's try to go back to where we were mid-November and figure it out from there. I think they've realized, and Willie's really good at this, when he sees something that works, he doesn't really go, like he he'll stick with it. He's not a stubborn coach in that sense. Them knowing that point Zion works, I see them continuing to go with that uh, moving forward. Couple, uh, I have, I have so much. I'm so excited to talk about the Pelicans. I can barely contain myself. <laughs> you mentioned Nance. I've already, with you on this podcast, taken the L on the CJ McCollum trade. I, I was lukewarm on it from the Pelicans' perspective, and I was wrong for many reasons. Number one, uh, as soon as Larry Nance was in it, I liked it more. He yep. has been sensational for the Pelicans. The Nance Zion four or five combination is plus 113 in 278 minutes. They're just obliterating people when they're at the four and the five. That trade should be the McCollum Nance trade, not the McCollum trade. The second Absolutely. reason I was wrong about it is they bet on themselves and they won on two counts. Number one, they made the playoffs. And so the lottery pick that they were going to send in that trade, in fact, did not become a lottery pick. And number two, I love Josh Hart. You love Josh Hart. America loves Josh Hart. They looked at Trey Murphy, 
and Herb Jones and said, we can lose Josh Hart because these guys are ready. And they were absolutely right. Um, and I don't, uh, okay. Then you mentioned Jonas Valanciunas and spacing. And that leads me to Miles Turner. If there is something to be, I, I don't, I don't say concerned is not the right word. If you're looking at how can this team get better, there are two things that jump out. Number one is they take the third fewest threes in the NBA. And number two is teams are shooting an enormous percentage at the rim. The Pelicans are allowing the second highest field goal percentage at the rim. And then you throw in the fact that, well, JV is a post player. Zion needs to play on the interior, blah, blah. That's where the Miles Turner infatuation comes in. And these teams have... They've made eyes at each other from across the high school cafeteria over the years, 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 like a half decade now since Zion existed in the NBA. They've made eyes at each other. And you know what? I I get it. I I think it would be an interesting, it would definitely be interesting. And it's worth, if you're telling me like I can get him for a lottery protected first round pick in JV, I got to have a meeting about it. I got to think about it. And you know what, Andrew? I kind of don't want them to do it. And I don't want them to do it for, for a number of reasons. Number one is um, I like the fact that they have a we can beat the shit out of you gear with mm-hmm. JV. And you saw last night the Suns put DeAndre Ayton on Zion and put their fours on Valanciunas which is a strategy a lot of teams use here and there to try and slow down Zion or at least like you can't just roll over me. And I mean, I wrote about this in 10 things in the first week of the season. Uh, Larry Nance dunked on Utah Watanabe's face against Brooklyn. And I said, keep an eye on stuff like that because they had Claxton on Zion. The Nets did. And Zion threw the ball to Nance and said, dunk on this dude's face, shove him under the basket. And Larry's got his hops back. And he had a, there was another play against Phoenix last night where Zion did the same thing. Saw, saw a little guy, I think a Kogi fronting Nance, threw him the ball, Nance threw a foul. JV, you don't have gotta get gotta get tricky with it. You put a small ball four on JV, that dude is going into the stands and then right into the ice bath because JV's gonna beat the crap out of him until you can't do that anymore. And defensively, you know who leads the league in defensive rebounding rate? Uh would that be Mr. Jonas Valanciunas? Jonas Valanciunas. And so, you know, yeah, he's not a rim protector, he's not fast on his feet. But he he does some stuff that's helpful for this team. And the and the the fact that they take the third fewest threes in the league doesn't worry me as much as it does for a team like, say, the Suns when we talked about their offense and oh my God, the mid-range jumpers. It, and it's because they live at the basket. They're third in most shots at the rim per game. They get to the line a lot, and they are sort of an affirmation that even in the era of three, three, threes, the rim is the best place to live. And they live at the basket. So it's not as if they are uh, uh, limiting themselves to the mid-range shot because they don't take threes. They're just living at the basket. I kind of like their identity as it is. You throw in how good Nance has been. I kind of just don't think they need Miles Turner. I just don't. I don't. I, I can't. I'm cool with them saying thanks, but no thanks. I think the best. The, the thing about this is it goes back to Larry. Um, when you, you talk about their. You go back and look at their best two-man lineups this year. Most of them, at least the top seven, have either Jose or Larry in them. Those two off the bench have been great. I think Larry's versatility off the bench has been 
just uh, something that has has made this team take take a jump. Can I can you, I just can I just interrupt you for one second because I don't want to forget it. You mentioned the switching defense that Larry yes. plays with them. He's great at that. He and Zion have developed such a beautiful chemistry with interior passing and like random screening actions. And there's a play I'm going to put it in 10 things from like 10 games ago where there was like a possession that was going nowhere. And Zion got the ball at the top of the key. And Larry Nance was in the paint, like in this really awkward position by the dotted line, pointed to Zion and pointed at the ground as to tell him, I'm going to set you a screen right here, right now, 13 feet from the rim in the muck of this random possession. Come get it. And Zion took that screen and I think rolled in and scored. It was just this beautiful moment between two guys who are developing that kind of synergy. Anyway, Larry Nance has been sensational. To that point, Larry's ability to call audibles on the offensive and defensive end has been key for them. Last or Sunday, Dyson Daniels. Is obviously he's playing a bunch of minutes right now with with her about he's starting these games with her about. Um, Put Chris Paul in the weight room last night on a post up and boy did that make me that made me, I mean I love Dyson Daniels when he got Chris Paul in the post and was like I'm not afraid. So he he had the three on that when he got the ball on that possession he had the three realized he passed it up realized he had Chris Paul and said I'm going to work. Uh, which for a 19 year old kid fantastic. Um, but Larry said, you know, we they're going to this to their switching lineups in the in the fourth quarter and overtime. Obviously, DeAndre Ayton fouls out the end of the fourth quarter. So Jock Landale is the the five at this point. Dyson Daniels, if you're putting him in these situations, and the Pels will switch red, they'll red. That's what that's their call. If CJ's in there, okay, you don't want CJ on a five. You don't necessarily want Jose Alvarado on a five, but when Dyson's the guy in those switches, he prevent he he had a big steal on Jock Landell late. His fellow countryman, his fellow Australian, which he really loved that he was able to stop him at that point, boxed out a couple of times, got a good rebounds. Larry said, "Look, that kid is so smart on that end. If I'm calling audibles on defense, I'm going to him first because he understands what we're doing, and we're switching things wow. up, and I'm going from there." They love Dyson Daniels. You go back to that podcast we did in September. My thing that I'm hanging my hat on is I told you on that podcast that Dyson Daniels was going to steal somebody's minutes by December. Obviously, I don't know what's happening by injury right now, but we'll see what happens when everybody. Oh, he's he's in the rotation now. So, but Larry has called audibles on both ends and he, he tries to figure everything out. He holds these guys accountable on both sides of the floor. He's the guy yelling at guys to box out if they don't box out. He's calling uh, plays on the fly with Z. He's calling stuff on defense. He has been just, you, I won't say their MVP. Obviously, Z is their MVP, but you just true value on both sides of the floor. You, you really have to give a nod to Larry for everything that he's been able to do. 1,000%. Um, and that's why I'm okay passing on Miles Turner or whatever fake center upgrade you want to you wanna throw at me. And the only players I really looked at more deeply than that, again, that are realistically available and obtainable for them. Like even Boyan Bogdanovich, he's a four. He's a four. Like, can I play him and Zion and a center together? Uh, Probably I can, but how much and how many minutes he's going to take away from guys who are really good. Like I, that's, I just zeroed in there. If they could get a movement shooter, like a, a guy that I don't think you give up a first for him, but 
I think Malik Beasley would be an interesting fit on their team. Just like a different ingredient, fly around, move around like Reddick used to do, but with, right. with less sort of caginess than Reddick as a handoff guy and stuff like that. But honestly, it wouldn't surprise me if they just stand pat and I'd be fine with that. Um, the defense is the one that is surprising and we should go there now. Third in defense. Um, and if you want to, if you want to pick it, you know, is this real? Is this real? You want to, you want to play that game? Well, only th- four teams allow more threes than the Pelicans and they are allowing the Pelicans are the fourth lowest three point shooting percentage. So there's a little bit of luck there and the tracking data thinks they are getting among the quote luckiest teams in the league on defense. That's cool. Fine. Chalk it up. You're getting a little lucky. Everyone needs a little luck now and then no one needs, no one wins without luck. They are. I think when we looked at it last week, I did the, I, I wrote a story on the defense last week and it, it's they are the luckiest. You you look at the three points, uh, the three point percentage for what they're giving up, the expected three point percentage for another team. I think it was like a three percent difference. Um, when I looked at it last week, I know Phoenix had a lot of success this weekend, uh, shooting, so I'm sure that number is a little bit different. They didn't now, have a lot of success winning, no, only shooting threes. First time in Pell's history, they allowed a team to make 22 threes and still won the game, so they were, they were, I think, happy about that hey, one. Look. You don't get anywhere in life without a little luck. You don't get anywhere in the NBA without a little luck. You know what else you don't do? You don't beat Brazil in the quarterfinals of the World Cup without a little bit of luck. There you go. Lopez. (laughs) They are at what they're doing more this year than they were last year is switching. And a lot of that comes down to Larry Nance. I think when uh, the numbers are below 20% when JV's on the floor in terms of switching, I think they're over 40% when Larry Nance is on the floor. When they go to some of these lineups late in games, and a lot of this comes back to Zion's defense. You don't Zion's. You don't. You can't just hide Zion. You would hide. You would before. You don't have to hide him anymore. He has held his own. There's been a few. Yeah, there's been a few one-on-one situations where he's gotten broke down. Okay, that's fine. Since that that we talked probably back on November 14th when he was coming back from that uh, that ankle injury. When he, or the foot injury, when he stopped, I think he stepped on Garuba's foot the night we talked or, or the day right before. Since he's come back from that, the level of activity he's had on the defensive end, the level of care he's had on the defensive end have, have gone to another level. And I think he realizes what he needs to do on that end. The, the stocks are up, steals and blocks are preferred for him. He, the activity that he has on that side has been uh, tremendous. And it's, you're starting to see a little bit of, of a new version of Z on that end as well. And I think when you get him out there, um, Larry told me the other day, he's like, you know, he, he doesn't want to be the pigeon. Zion doesn't want to, he, he's like, look, come on, let's, let's go. I'll, I'll be the guy that you want to try to get me one-on-one. Okay, let's go. We have capable guys who, who can handle this on defense. He knows he's got Larry back there or, or JV guys are talking, guys are flying around. The activity level is there. The care is there. And Dyson kind of put it the other day. He's like, look, you know, we're getting the guys to shoot threes that we want to shoot threes. You want to talk about the, you know, luck or anything like that. Some of that is there. I, okay. It's still luck. You're still not going to have a 3% difference. We all, but you're moving all, from that direction. We all, we all tell ourselves the stories that we want to hear. <laughs> There's probably a little bit of that going on, but 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 here's why I'm not that worried about the threes thing. Even if they are getting exactly that lucky. Fourth lowest opponent free throw rate. Seventh highest opponent turnover rate. Top 10 in defensive rebounding. 
fundamentals, rock solid. Not beating ourselves, not giving you easy chances. They should actually be a better rebounding team than they are. Zion should be a better defensive rebounder than he is. But we're not giving you anything, and we're taking the ball away from you. And every time I watch them, man, I'm like, and this is Nance. Nance might not be a rim protector, although he can get you with verticality every once in a while. But he's 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 good at going vertical and horizontal at the same time with his arms. Like he'll go up and then get in the passing over the other one. They're getting their hands on everything. And sure enough, I looked it up. They're number two in deflections two. Yep. behind only Toronto, which is like a deflection machine. And the same kind of uh, the, almost the inverse of what we talked about rim versus threes on offense is happening on defense. They might give up a lot of threes. They don't give up a lot of shots at the basket. Only seven teams allow fewer shots at the basket. Part of that is switching. Now, teams are hitting everything when they get to the basket, but it, that's that's a battleground where preventing chances is more important than the shooting percentage you give up there. And so at both ends of the floor, they start rim out, and that's working for them. And so even if they are getting a little lucky on threes and that regresses, okay, maybe the, if, if everything else stays the same, so maybe they're the ninth best defensive team in the league. 10th, right. 8th, that's still plenty good enough because the offense is completely legit. And when they get Ingram back and they figure out the right balance, the right staggering, the right distribution of plays, the right chemistry, this is a top five offense, full stop, easily. And I think this is real. I think this is real enough that they don't have to do anything. And it, it just feels like a perfect storm is happening there with Every move they make has turned to gold from CJ and Nance to Jose Alvarado to Dyson Daniels. And by the way, you mentioned Z at, at the five, Zion at the five. They haven't needed to do that. They clearly don't want to do it. Defensively, their center play has been too good. It, short-term, medium-term, long-term, it's something they're going to have to explore. And you look at the guys they have. Daniels, Ingram, Murphy, Jones, throw in Najee Marshall. They have the wings Yes. Build out that lineup already and switch up. Like you can't switch everything. Like you said, with CJ or Devonte Graham at the one, it's hard to do that with JV at the five. You can do it with Nance at the five, which is rendered the Zion at the five sort of less relevant, but they have the goods already to build a four wings plus Zion lineup that can switch everything that has a creator in Ingram that can run an offense that has shooting. It's, I'm just saying it's there. Like they don't have to like restructure their roster to do that. No. And they've gone to it. Like I said, a few times when they felt they've really needed it, they've, they've been able to get to it. They don't, they know they don't have to stick with it for an entire quarter. They don't have to go to it uh, for long periods of time, but you know, you go back to the deflections and you talk about the wings. Of course, Jose is going to lead this team in deflections right now because Herb's, uh, Herb's been been missing some time, but Larry, Herb, Trey, Najee, they're all six eight, six nine guys. I mean, their arms are they're everywhere, and that's what you see on uh, for opposing defenses. You just they're just out there, they're doing their thing. The lineup versatility for this group. If you want to go big, they can go big. You want to go small, they can go small. You want to just put. You know, 72 wings out there. You can put all the wings in the world out there. And I, I think that's a credit to them, like you said, nailing everything in the last year and a half, going back to last summer's draft. You know, the 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 trade where you switch from Steven Adams to JV, 
You get off of Bledsoe's deal. You slide back to to 17th in the draft. You're still able to get Trey That's Murphy. a win-win trade. People want to yes. frame the Sabonis-Halliburton trade as a win-win trade. I've said my spiel on that. On a much smaller scale, that trade's been good for both teams. You you still get your guy at, at 17. You pick up Herb at 35. You get Jose as an undrafted guy. All three of those guys develop. We're even in, even in March. Trey Murphy's not even playing in March. I mean, Trey Murphy went down to the G League in February, March last year, and then is a month later is hitting threes uh, in uh, against the Clippers to to send you to the playoffs. Now all three are playing huge minutes this year when healthy. It's that's a credit to player development. You nailed the the as you said the CJ Larry Nance trade. It's not just the CJ trade anymore. Everything has kind of gone right, and I think that is that has put you in a position where being first in the West is sustainable. And I go back to something Zion said the other night. First, being in first place in the West may not be a thing to everybody, especially this early in the season. It means something to us. And I think those guys in that locker room, they care about it right now. They want to sustain this. They feel it is sustainable. I, I think we agree it, it is probably sustainable if, if they continue to play this way. But they they want to play for this. I think coming into the season, their goal was probably look we we were playing team last year that's that's behind us i don't think their their goal was just top 6 let's not make the play in their goal was home court probably even top 3 i think that's where they're at and i think that's where they they can stay right now and they they want to keep obviously they want to keep number 1 but they feel really good about their chances and obviously there's just nothing anybody can do with zion <laughs> no. just just nothing no. there was a two possession sequence Last night against Phoenix, we're recording this on Monday afternoon, where they had Aiton on him. So Zion ran a four-five pick and roll with Zion and and JV. And well, we don't. The Suns were like, we don't want to switch that. Da get under. Da got under the screen. The only problem is Zion beat him to the spot by like two steps and just sort of bodied him up, laid the ball in. Next possession or two possessions later, Phoenix was like, well, that didn't work. Let's switch. Switch Dario Sarge onto Zion. Zion backed the ball out. Just, I'm, I, I wish I could have seen his face because he would have just been like, are you ready, Dario? You ready for what's about to happen to you? And just drove right into him. Dario like fell over and Zion laid the ball in. You could see the Suns be like, well, what the hell are we supposed to do? There's just nothing you can do with this guy in the paint right now. The two, two plays in the last two weeks that have really kind of stood out for me Z-wise. When they played Denver, they just decided we're going four or five pick and roll. We're putting Jokic on Z every time they ran that probably four, five, six, seven straight times before Denver had to make a switch, but he was, that's what we're going to do. We're going to make Jokic play D there. They went at it several times in the Phoenix game on Sunday. He (laughs) he's driving to his left because it's E. Aiden's on him. Chris Paul is closing out. And he basically, I think he's, he's more in line with Chris Paul. Aiden's trying to help. And he hits a spin move that gets by both of them at the same time. And like, and just finger rolls it at the rim. He's a tornado. The they thing were, is a tornado. Aiden is outside of the paint and he gets just one spin gets around both of them at the same time. It's one of those play when you watch him, I know there's a saying in baseball, like, you know, you can go to a baseball game and you might see something you've never seen in your life. That's how I feel when I watch Zion Williamson play basketball. Well, there's, he's there's stuff that he will do. That's just going to blow your mind every game. 
he's unselfish too. And that's one of the things that's one of my favorite plays from last night as Phoenix was he gets a strip on defense. Uh, then there's a run out and it's a two on one with him and CJ. Someone outlets it to Zion on the right wing. And so many times on these plays, the guy who gets the strip, which is Zion feels mm-hmm. entitled to go down and finish the play on the other end. The ball does not touch the floor. It hits Zion's hands. He whips a pass right away to CJ McCollum, who dunks it. CJ McCollum got up and dunked it with two hands. CJ. I know bas- basketball reference says that was his second dunk of the year. I think Synergy says it was first. I don't remember another one. Look, the bench reacted more to that and got more hyped for that dunk than they did for the 360 windmill on Friday. Well, because CJ ain't going to get up there. That <laughs> union union president CJ ain't going to get up there much. But that but that play, it's just, it's a silly little thing. But that's the play. That's the kind of play that happens on teams with good cultures. And it's the kind of play that makes the culture even better. When the best player is like, yeah, I got to steal. I'm making the right play. You get to dunk it. We get to hype you up. This team has something going. And look, it's a little early to say Zion is like top three MVP, top four. The Tatum, Curry, Luka, Durant, Embiid, Jokic, Giannis, Stratosphere is going to be hard to crack. But he's gotten to the table. And like I said, those other teams in the West, the veteran teams will surge, but they've already reached the point where those teams don't want anything to do with New Orleans. And this team has a chance now, and I can't claim to have expected that. I, I thought yeah. they could be a top six team. This is something I didn't see coming. Andrew Lopez, you're going to be on hand to document all of it. Thank you for a little time today and uh, enjoy the coming Pelicans little road jaunt around the Western Conference. And if you see anything afoot on Saturday night in Phoenix. Just, just, just get, just, just be ready to talk. I want to hear every angle of any fracas that happens. I want to hear it from you. I will still be thawing out probably at that point since I will spend five days in Salt Lake city. So uh, once I'm unfrozen, I will let you know how things go Saturday night in Phoenix. Andrew Lopez. Thank you, sir. Thank you. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.